Hi, welcome to Pitch. The second part of the podcast. If you didn't listen to the premium portion of the episode, make sure to check that out. We had three great writers on with their story pitches, along with the first three pages of their scripts read and performed by our wonderful actors. I'm Angel. And I'm Leah St. Marie. And today we're going to have a couple of discussions. First about your script, formerly called The Sitter, now called A Spoonful of Sugar, which as of this recording in February 2023 mm-hmm. is just a few weeks away from being released on Shutter. right? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And then we're going to talk about your most recent writing assignment, a comedy feature, which you wrote in a month, right? I did. But that's a little bit misleading, though. That is technically accurate in a way. I like to be misleading. (laughs) You're killing me. Uh, It's not misleading, um, but there's more to the story. So we'll, we'll get to that. But I wanted to start with asking you about... Mm-hmm. the script that you recently had produced and screened at, where was it, Austin? In Austin, yeah. At which festival? Fantastic Fest. So you had a script made into a movie mm-hmm. that screened at Fantastic Fest in Austin. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's really cool. It's kind of cool. Um, how did the industry first recognize the script and what was it titled? Oh, both good questions. Uh, it was not titled what the final product was. The final product is called Spoonful of Sugar. When I wrote it, it was called The Sitter, but there's multiple titles called that. And I tend to, to name things kind of generically, like Benjamin Percy. Like if I write something, a, a short story of mine is called The Armchair because it's about an armchair. So whatever is like dead on the nose, that's what I'll title a thing. Okay. Um, How did it get recognized in the industry? I wrote it back in 2016 and I submitted it to Screencraft Horror Contest. You said you wrote it in 2016 and it just premiered Mm -hmm. at a festival in 2022. When will it be available for purchase and viewing for the public in general? 2023 so seven years from writing it yeah until it's broadly available which i think is normal and then fast because wow. sometimes like the queen's gambit what was that 20 years oh uh, that sounds like a long time I, yeah 20 years okay so i wrote it and i submitted it to the screencraft genre competition and i did that on purpose because i was like a lot of festivals are only focused on drama are only focused on comedy. I don't think that this little script would have stood a chance in those specific kind of festivals. So I was like, I need to find a horror festival because horror people are my people and they will love, we're not allowed to swear on this podcast, are we? Probably not, but... They will love the insert expletive out of this script. And I submitted it And it kept, you know, you get the alerts, like either you're rejected flat out and you're like, okay, I guess I just keep writing like I have been doing, or you get into the next phase. No, never had that happen. (laughs) Ever once. Well, it happens. And I got an an email. I was like, oh, it made it into the quarterfinals. Ooh, the semifinals. Oh, 
it made it into the finals. So it made it into the finals for ScreenCraft. It didn't win, um, but that's okay because it was made. So it, it wins this competition, it or it, it is a finalist in this competition. And that got the attention of a woman who has a private industry newsletter that goes out to managers and producers and agents and production companies. And she interviewed me. She Well, she asked if I wanted to be on the newsletter. I said, absolutely. I didn't even know something like this existed. There's a lot of these things that a lot of people don't know exist that are very secretive to certain tiers of industry people. Yeah, it was the Femlist. Oh, wow. So it advocated for female filmmakers. And I said, yes. And she interviewed me. She was very lovely. And that newsletter got into the hands of a couple of people. And one of those people was um, Alex. And Alex had a client of his, Mercedes Bryce Morgan. So Alex is some sort of rep. Alex is a manager. Okay, so Alex represented someone named Katrina? Mercedes. So Alex represented Mercedes. Alex represented Mercedes and emailed me and hooked the two of us up. Now, what's interesting about this is that newsletter also made it to Katrina. Now, Mercedes and Katrina ended up being on board with this film. When that newsletter made it to Katrina, she already knew about the script through Mercedes. And so she's working for Disney Plus at the time and she's in the editing bay and she's talking about my script. And this the, is Katrina or Mercedes? This is Ka Katrina. This is Katrina. Who went on to produce this film. Okay. And Mercedes directed this film. Okay. But I was going to get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> there's there's so much context I'm that I'm like, like, there's like five minutes of you saying these names and no I one know. knows. Yeah, no, you're right. You're you, right. You like to bury the lead though. So. I do bury the lead. And Katrina's in this editing room and she mentions what she's reading to the editor and the editor goes by Leah Welch. And Katrina's like, yeah, do you know her? And they were like, yeah, I worked with her at um, this documentary film place. So very, very small world. Anyway, I meet Mercedes and we have a lovely chat about my script, which is a sexual thriller. Uh, she loved it and she had Katrina read it and Katrina read it and she loved it. And they got the script before you the met meeting. with them? Yes. How did they get the script? I had sent it to the, the Femlist and gave them permission to send it to whoever they wanted. And they contacted the Femlist? Then or the Femlist gave it to Alex and Alex gave it to them. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was a script pipeline. Script pipeline, yes. Mm, interesting. And I was pitching it at the time as, what if Halloween... Mike Myers, when he was a kid, was had a babysitter who was Lolita. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And since I pitched it like that, when I met Mercedes Katrina, we went to a now non-existent movie theater and watched Lolita together. The Jeremy Irons one with Dominique Swain or the black and white one? The black and white one. Oh, okay. So the original. The original one. Yeah. And they loved it and they wanted to make it happen. So I was like, yeah, full steam ahead, go for it. And they had notes. And their notes were, these are two women who went to USC. They're mid-20s at the time and so knowledgeable about all things filmmaking. 
So when they gave me notes, those notes were great notes. They say, oh, don't, don't agree with all of the notes. Like, reserve some things. You know, fight. I was like, 100%, I agree with all of these notes. I'm changing everything you want. They were that good. Wow. And from there, Mercedes and Katrina gave me, I think we went through about six rounds of notes. Okay. Over the course of what? O- over the course of maybe six months. Okay. Yeah. And then Mercedes was really hot at the time. She's hot now, right? And she got a meeting with the people at Shutter, And she pitched this to the people at Shutter. I didn't even have to be in the room. It was a, a hermit writer's dream. Do you know how she pitched it? I don't know how she pitched it. We can invite her on. We have to get her pitch for that. And get her pitch for this. Because as the director... Mm-hmm. Pitching a property versus the writer pitching a story. Yes. I wonder if there would be a difference in how you would pitch it as a writer and how she pitched it. I'm so sure that there there was a difference. Um, her her vision for this was uh, psychedelic and trippy and visual in all of the stunning ways. Um, she pitched to Shutter. Shutter loved it. This was on brand for them. It was new and fresh and and exciting, and the people attached to it were new and fresh and exciting. And it would be the it was supposed to be the first thing that we ever got produced, the first feature film that all three of us got produced together. But COVID happened. Oh, and so we met Shutter in twenty twenty at Sundance. They had already greenlit this. They were already excited. We were all very excited, and this was January, and then March came around. And the world shut down. And the world literally shut down. Yeah. And so they postponed. Uh, they postponed until COVID was lifted, which it still hasn't been. We're still in COVID right now. Yeah, we still have pretty strict COVID protocols on a lot of sets. Especially, yeah, especially on film sets. So what was so very exciting for me and for them was pushed and put on hold. And they ended up doing a different feature film first, which went on to premiere at TIFF. And they're on tour right now around the world doing the festival circuit with it. It's called Fixation. And I went on to direct my own feature film called In the Light of the Moon with you. Oh, yes, that's right. The werewolf love epic. Yeah. Um, Art House Horror, which is one of my very favorite genres. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And so this wasn't made until two years after Shudder was excited about it. So it filmed in the winter of 2021. Okay. Or was a year, like, yeah, almost two years. So when you say you were pitching the script, Mm -hmm. The Sitter, Mm -hmm. as if like Mike Myers as a kid and his babysitter is basically Lolita. Right. Who were you pitching that to? And it sounds like the buzz around it from this femlist got it into the hands of someone who just read the script. Like, do you know if the femlist has like log line? Do they do a quick pitch? Like, do you know how that whole work, how, how the whole thing works with them? I, what they do is they list your bio and they, they list the different competitions that you've won as well if you want to include that and so I got to list that it was a finalist on ScreenCraft, and I'm sure that that did it some favors 
along with Alex, there was someone at Fox Searchlight who was interested. And then there was another production company who was interested. And I ended up meeting with that other production company. Uh, they weren't interested in in this title. But I have since kept in touch with them and have pitched them every once in a while, some horror stuff. We haven't done anything together yet, but, you know, fingers crossed. Okay. Were you involved in the filming of it? As a writer of a film, oftentimes you're cast aside like, you know, gum off a person's shoe, <laughs> which maybe isn't the best analogy because gum <laughs> kind of sticks around. There's always like a residue. But, yeah. but were you involved in like casting? What was filming like? Or did you not have a hand in it because you were off doing other things? Well, what was great about working with Katrina and Mercedes was they involved me and they didn't have to. I wasn't involved in casting. I would throw names out that I was excited for or if I had any connections to certain actresses, I would offer that. And they wanted my opinion, but ultimately it was it was Mercedes' choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that the cast she put together is dynamic. So you've seen the film? I have seen the film, but going back to your question... Was I involved in the filmmaking process? Funny story. They were going to hire me as the COVID officer because I got my COVID. <laughs> no. Yes. Wow. What? People say writers are respected in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> I have my, my COVID certification and it was a low budget film. So they didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't pay me to be on set and make edits, you know. And so they were going to hire me as the COVID officer, but SAG got in the way of that and SAG said no, because it's a conflict of interest if you have somebody who is above the line, be below the line in the capacity of a COVID officer because they could lax in their um, protocol. Hmm, look at that, SAG up to up to good. <laughs> I know, right? Well done, SAG, it's about time. So I didn't get to be on on set as a writer however two things happened when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The first thing was Katrina and Mercedes were making changes on the day and for the next day. And so we had constant communication during filming where they had edits. I was doing a blue revision, white pages, red pages, goldenrod pages. I was doing all of that every day and giving them those no giving them those drafts at the end of every day. And then the other thing that happened was I'm always interested in learning despite what you say. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't try to get her to write a synopsis. Yeah, she don't does not want to learn that. No, not that. But I wanted to shadow a director and it was such a perfect opportunity to shadow 
Mercedes, because she's a friend of mine, it's a film I wrote, and Mercedes was kind enough to invite me on set to shadow her for a day. But also, I got to be an extra in my film. So you wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be a COVID officer on it. <laughs> no. Nope. But you got to be an extra. It's like, how disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was very kind. So I got to be in the caroling scene. If you watch the movie, I'm one of the carolers. Okay. You can hardly see me because it's, I don't think I give anything away, but the camera work that's happening um, accentuates the emotional and psychological state of the characters at the time. So you might be able to catch me. Ooh, something's going on with those characters. Yes. One hopes something's going on with the characters in a story. Yes. Okay, so what happened after filming? Anything remarkable? Was it... Because it was pretty quick. If you filmed in December of 2021, we're mm-hmm. recording this in December of 2022. It's already premiered at a film festival. It's a fast post-production turnaround. Yeah. So Mercedes, Katrina, and I have such a tight relationship that when they were going through edits for fixation, they sent me different cuts of the film to watch and give notes on. And they did the same thing for this movie. They sent me a draft of this movie they wanted to know my thoughts and it's not vastly different from the script but then some things were some things were cut and it made the story flow better Mm. and i i sent them versions of in the light of the moon and they gave me notes on that as well wow what a what a healthy symbiotic relationship between people truly like yeah Truly, truly. You hear you hear a lot of horror stories, a lot oh, of shouting, yes. a lot of power plays, a lot of strong arming and manipulation, or a lot of take my name off this project. I no longer want to be identified with it. And I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of money and reputation at stake on a lot of these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, tensions run high. Yeah, it sounds like that was not what was happening on. No. In Spoonful f- of sugar. No. In fact, uh, Mercedes Katrina told me that it was so easy to work with Shutter because they they had minimal notes during the editing process. They just wanted them to be as creative as they wanted to be. That's great. It's fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, what was Fantastic Fest like seeing your first feature up on a big screen with a festival audience? And fe- festival audiences are always fun. Because they're true fans and they're engaged. First of all, I was very excited to be invited to Fantastic Fest. Um, It was great that people actually showed up in the auditorium because that's always a fear. You're like, no one's going to like this. How how was it full or? It wasn't it wasn't full, but we had a big theater and. This is still COVID era. And it's still COVID era. We're in Austin. It's September. And it was as the title of the festival says, it was fantastic. It was a dream of mine and it has been a dream of mine for a long time to see my name um, up on the screen. And I've, I've seen it to some capacity in various roles on a film set. Like I've been a, I've been a stand-in, like I was Maggie Gyllenhaal stand-in for a summer. Um, I've done PA work. I've done COVID officer work. I've done a lot. But to see my name up there written by It was very meaningful um, and very thrilling. Yeah. Well, congratulations again. Um, My last question that I have scheduled for 
your talk about Shudder <laughs> is would you write another film for Shudder? I would absolutely write another film for Shudder. I think my proclivities match their proclivities. Horror. Horror, Horror thriller, thriller, sexual thriller, mm. art house thriller. I have I have a great grindhouse film that's just ready and raring to go. But it's a very specific audience. And something that I found from Fantastic Fest, because it's a it's a horror festival, it's a genre festival, so you have sci-fi there as well. The audiences love to watch these movies. They are so kind, they are so engaged, and they are so thoughtful with their questions. I would love to do Fantastic Fest every year. Now, you worked with Shudder on this, and you would work with them again on something else. Mm -hmm. Since you have a relationship with them, have you pitched them other ideas? Are you going to? What's your plan since you have similar tastes and it was oh, a good experience? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I hadn't thought about proactively approaching them because I have so many other projects that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. But I think I'll make a concerted effort to get the gang together and try to do that. Yeah, in, in as much as I have the power to do that. I love that. Thanks. So when will your film be out and where can people watch it? So you can watch it on Shutter. I believe that there's a seven-day free trial period that you can sign up for. And then after that, the base plan is $4.95 a month. Okay. Um, it's supposed to come out the second quarter. So in filmmaking, we talk quarters, right? So the second quarter, May, June of 2023, it'll be available. Yeah. Okay. So the second quarter of 2023 on Shudder. On Shudder. And the name of the film again is? Spoonful of Sugar. Spoonful of Sugar. Because that's supposed to help the medicine go down. Very cool. Well, that's, uh, again, congrats to you for a spoonful of sugar. It sounds creepy and I can't wait to see what it's all about. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to force you to watch it with me, so. Yeah, well, bring it on. Okay. So I kind of want to bounce to you and ask you about the process of writing this feature film. Yeah, the actual time I was given from when the producer said, hey, I want to pay you to write this to when I turned in a draft was 31 days. So the process was, here's money coming in, <laughs> get it done. On the timeline. That seems accurate. That seems like um, a normal process for any screenwriter. Yeah. So given that it was 31 days, it was a lot of, well, I got to get it done. And what do I need to do to make it surprising? Because this is a project that this producer was working on himself a couple years back. And he would talk to me about ideas. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, great. So, you know, maybe think about this. Maybe think about that. I was kind of giving him a little bit of guidance when it came to the story because he wanted to write it himself initially, which is great and super ambitious. And I think eventually he will write stuff one day because he's got a lot of great ideas and he's got a lot of great drive. So I was involved pretty early on with the conception of the story, um, at least in a, in a, in a ancillary way. And then uh, like about a year after he initially started it and we had conversations, he said, hey, why don't we sit down for a week and I'll pay you to come and brainstorm and, you know, come up with some, some concrete stuff for this. Cause I, you know, I, I like the way you think and it's really helpful to have someone bounce, to bounce ideas off. So I said, great. So we sat down for a week and we worked on it and we had a bunch of ideas. You know, we, we have 
similar sense of humor and I kind of got his sense of humor. So we would spitball scene ideas and whatnot. We'd, we had a great time. But then at the end of the week, it was like, well, we got to make some story decisions. And one of the ways I work is I need to know, or I like to know, maybe it's not a necess- necessity, but I, I like to know how it ends. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm unique in this. I've heard many people say, I can't write it unless I know how it ends, right? Yeah, not necessarily the details, but definitely the concrete nature of that ending. Yeah, because then you know what you're building toward, right? Yeah. So at the end of the week, we had um, had some conflicting ideas about the process for writing it. And I was like, well, I like, I need to know how it ends. And he was like, well, can we just start at the beginning and write? And I was like, some people can, I am, I am not that talented. My brain does not have that function fully formed yet. So I said, I think you should keep working on it. I think you've got a lot of great ideas. We talked about theme. We talked about all the things, the arc. And I said, you know, my, my hat's off to you like, and, and have a crack. And then a year later, he, you know, this is during COVID and COVID wreaked all sorts of havoc on, a lot of people. Right. And I think that he had other things going on. He said, look, I, I think I want you to just write this for me. And I want to give you free reign. I, I want to just take the reins off and you go ahead and write it. And was having free reign a blessing in a sense? Or was it extra pressure because you were writing something and your audience was one person? Having free reign was a bit of a misnomer. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he genuinely meant that, but I also knew in having had extensive conversations with him, what he responded to the most, at least when it came to comedy. Um, and and what, I, what I can share about the script at this point is that it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a subversive comedy. Uh, a guy kind of breaks bad and gets involved in some illegal stuff. And... So I, I knew what he responded to. I knew the things that really made him like laugh and like had a good time. So, Well, on that topic, just real quick, name three movies that are like this guy's humor. So we get a sense of, oh, it's kind of like blank. I mean, anything early Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Van Wilder. Waiting. Um, sure, Waiting. Rami. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's a TV show, not a movie, but... So that's the kind of stuff, uh, any, any Ben Stiller stuff, Meet the Fokker, like that, that's, that's sort of, uh, that comedic stuff is the scene ideas he was pitching and we were like where our humors would go when we were spending that week together was very much in line with those things. And it was, it was a great time. So I was like, I know he responds to this stuff. So I know he wants to give me free reign. However, I also want to deliver something I know he's going to really, really like. Yes. And that I can, that I have a target. Because if he just goes, here's free reign and give me something in 30 days, and I don't use anything that we had worked on before, then I felt like I would have been shooting myself in the foot time-wise. I don't think I would have been able to turn in a completed, polished draft in that timeline. So pressure is on. Yeah, the pressure was on, you know. Merry I, Christmas, happy holidays Merry to Christmas, you. happy holidays. You're not going to see anybody or do anything else except this for 31 days straight. So that was that was pretty much the process. You know, I, I was lucky in that we'd spent so much time working on it because I would not have been able to do what I did with the story if I didn't have the foundation of knowing what this guy responded to and knowing him personally and being like, oh, he uh, I should also share. He is also an excellent actor. And so this would be a vehicle for him, both as an actor and as a producer. So, it, you know, I was serving a lot of I was I was 
there was a there was multi there's a lot of facets to this assignment mm-hmm. writing in this guy's voice as an actor trying to set up how can i write something that i think could launch his career as an actor how do i write things that i know will stretch him as an actor but he can also nail and then also how do i broach this subject which he's obsessed with in a way that is satis- satisfying in this format and the reason I say satisfying in this format, because we had a subsequent discussion after I, after I wrote the script and you read it, and I realized that the subject matter of this script, this kind of like dark world, this underworld, is fascinating to him and a feature is not going to satiate his interest in it alone. He's, so, a, he's a universe guy. Well, he... He, he is a universe guy, but he's, he's just discovering that. And so when I discovered, I pitched him. Mm-hmm. What I think is you need to have a deeper delve into this world or this subworld, And that might be better served or might be continually served by doing a TV show. So I pitched him a TV show. I love that you turned a writing assignment into more work for yourself. Congratulations <laughs> on doing on doing that little uh, dance. Uh, I also I wanted to ask you: Was this the first time that you've written something specifically for someone? It is the first time I've written something for someone, both a producer mm-hmm. and an actor. And was it a stretch for you? Did you find yourself going out of your comfort zone doing it? I did not go out of my comfort zone other than I was working more every day than I would have normally liked to. You were like hauling ass. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't a, it's not a short comedy. It's, it's a full, No. it's a full, but again, I had another um, assignment in that there was a budgetary constraint. He's like, yes. I want to shoot this for X amount of dollars. So I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? scene sequence worldwide right so i so i had all these like considerations so it, i wasn't out of my comfort zone all the specificity with what he wanted as an actor what he wanted budgetary wise the topic matter um the the stuff he had discussed before that he'd come up with on his own that i just had to expand on and delve into deeper um was was great and because i know him pretty well personally it was a great chance to write in the voice of someone else so him in his most extreme moments in life in his most hilarious moments in life i was able to think about that stuff and be like yeah this character he's playing is not going to be very far from that it's just a heightened extraordinary version of himself and a different set of circumstances and a different set of relationships doing things that he would never do in real life let me ask you this in breaking story and delivering it to the guy, the whole process of it, what were some of your high five moments? I don't high five myself much. I've never once seen you not high five yourself. I'm constantly high fiving myself. The sound <laughs> people have a terrible time editing out of the podcasts. He's doing it now. <laughs> so because he and I had basically over that week, we spent, we, we probably iterated seven different versions of the movie and we kept coming up against well how does it end what do you want to say about the world what do you want to say about this guy who breaks bad and then gets away with it Mm -hmm. which really made him excited i was like well you know that's a consideration if they do something illicit 
and then they get away with it, what are we saying about the world? And it doesn't have to be like a moral message to the world about like, this is the world we live in and you know, cause it's, it's a comedy, right? So the stakes aren't that heavy, but we iterated seven different versions of the film basically. And so I had seven different optional endings and I'm, I'm actually forgetting what the question was exactly. High five moment. Oh, high five moment. So we had, we had, we had gone through so many options. I was like, how do I turn in a draft which keeps him guessing, mm-hmm. keeps him wanting to read more because he's seen and talked about so many versions of it already and has at least one really big surprise in it for him. And when I finally figured out, for this, for this one, it wasn't how does it end, which is normally what I need to, need to get excited for before it starts. It's what's the midpoint event that happens. What is the big thing that his character discovers that throws the whole world on its head that this guy who is intimately involved with the story, my versions of the story, his versions of the story, is not anticipating? And so once I figured that out, I was like, oh, I'm dancing. I was dancing around the apartment. Okay. That, was, that, was a good, that was a good afternoon. That's good. That kind of is a good segue to my next question, which is people often are talking about, oh, I finished this project or that project. But when you say it, it's this sentence, and the sentence represents a month of your time. So why don't you break down, what does a day look like for you when you're that intensely writing? Okay. Is, it, is that an okay question? Yeah, sure. So I would, I would wake up between se- six and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I take care of the cats and whatnot, and I'd immediately turn on my computer. I'd turn on my computer, open the document, um, deal with the cats. And, and I guess over the month it it changed, right? Because the first, really the first two weeks, I was just trying to figure out what the hell the story was. Yeah. I, I wasn't into writing the formatted pages until December 18th, I think. Mm-hmm. So I had to spend a lot of time racking my brain about, you know, up until I figured out the midpoint thing, I was like, what is the thing? What's the big surprise, right? So it was just pacing around the apartment going, what could possibly, what are the options I have? for a big surprise that would be organic to the story, right? So I did a lot of three by five cards. I had a whiteboard. I had long like legal sheets of paper. I would write out, you know, all my thoughts about story, about structure, and then about specifically the themes I was dealing with. And I and it took me a couple weeks to decide on the actual theme. Right. Right. So it was just iterating really. It was iterating on the computer in a document. It was iterating on paper. It was iterating on three by five cards and it was iterating on my, my big whiteboard. So it was a lot of iteration until I figured out what that midpoint reveal was. And then it was just figuring out the, the I guess the plot or the character arc. And we actually had an interesting conversation which was very, very crucial for me to kind of crack the story so quickly. And I've heard this before, plot is a function of character. Plot is a function of character. Right. And so I don't have any extensive schooling when it comes to screenwriting. I took a UCLA screenwriting course once, and I've taken a couple seminars here and there, but I don't have any, you know, I didn't take screenwriting at USC or UCLA, like in the whole curriculum. So I don't under, I don't, I don't know what those people know. Mm-hmm. 
So when you read and, you know, I've got like a dozen screenwriting books and I've watched so many things when they talk about plot is, you know, function of character, plot is character. Or, uh, I never quite understood it, but you said, well, their emotional state, right? And something in the conversation, it's, it's escaping me right now, but something in the conversation reminded me that. Oh, plot is emotion. Plot is emotion. That's what you said. And, yeah. and I, I generally, because I come from an acting background, I generally try to run away from the word emotion. Because though it appears that actors have emotions and sometimes they experience them while they're performing, in my understanding of it, you can't necessarily control your emotions as an actor, so you don't want to try to control them. So everyone has different schools of thought on this. This is my schooling and my, my understanding of it. So I generally like run away from that word emotion. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's too, it's too unmanageable as an actor. But as a writer, you can say, well, what's the character's emotional state? And even more specifically for me, it was, if plot is emotion, how do I, how do I translate that into my brain and my understanding of the story world? And so what I did was, oh, the character is going through periods where they are experiencing who they are for a little bit of the 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 journey and there may be a predominant emotion in that period of time but more granularly for me who is this character at the beginning for the first like 15 to 20 pages and then who do they change into in the next little section then who do they change into the next little section to try to solve their problem and that was really key for me because then I wasn't like, oh, first act, second act, third act. It wasn't just like a, a, a black line, you know, Sid Field, three act structure. It was right. like, what is the character moving through experientially mm -hmm. through each section of the movie? And there's a myriad of what I would say are emotions for the character, right? In the first section, this particular character, he's really ill at ease with his world and himself. He is very frustrated, he's very angry, and he is seeking a solution to this, this, to this problem. Um, and I, I wouldn't assign one emotion to that, but he, he is all those things, right? It's a cluster of things. He's agitated, he's seeking, he's frustrated, he's angry, right? There's like kind of a, and that manifests in these relationships for these reasons. And then in the next section, he discovers or he creates or he finds an opportunity which could alleviate some of this frustration, anger, seekingness, right? So then who is he at this next section? And then he goes through a bunch of things in that next section. And then who does he then turn into in the next section? And then what are the emotions associated with that? So it's kind of like, like Pigpen from the Peanuts. <laughs> like Pigpen walks in the room and he's got a cloud of like dirt and dust and gnats and bugs around him. Except it's anger and frustration and... What, yeah. does, what does it mean to be who I am in this world and how do I change? Yeah, in one section. And then the next section, that cloud is a little bit differently populated. It's like pink dust with like butterflies and stuff, you know? Like it's yeah. kind of like what, it's like the, the, the mental space they're swimming in and then how they interact with the world given that, um, that, <laughs> that character cloud of, <laughs> of, of emotions and <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how to better frame it up than that. I haven't read the script yet, but I feel very close to it because you, I was with you through the process of it. And I think something that's very intrigue, intriguing to me is that you have this character who's trying constantly to change his world until he figures out that he needs to change himself. And I think it's it's done and executed so very well in your script. 
Well, you haven't read the script yet, but I appreciate the well, vote of confidence. The way you pitched it, though, it's you're nailing it. So my next question is, what are the next steps for the script? You're in rewrites? Maybe you're straight into production? What? I suggested to this producer that he go... Um, he liked the script. And one of the one of the biggest green lights for me was when he was like, no, I laughed out loud. I mm-hmm. literally lost my shit at point A, point B, point C. And I'm like, thank God, because those are the moments when I was like, please let him lose his shit. And then he was like, I was surprised when, you know, the big thing I like really wanted to hang my hat on, like this should surprise, this should surprise him and um, still serves the story. He was like blown away. He's like, I love that. He's like, it's such a great surprise, such a great twist. He's like, it's blah, blah, blah. So my suggestion to him, because I know him as an actor, I said, look, I think anything you were confused about, one that's in part my job as a writer, but also I think even with the most clearly written scripts, there sometimes is, or there sometimes are moments that aren't completely clear to a reader. Um, I've, you know, I've read scripts from Tony Gilroy and you know, like, legends right i've read a lot of the scripts on the blacklist over throughout the years and i can read that script and understand 90 percent of it and think it's amazing it's and like, then there's 10 percent that i that i just don't get so i think even with the best written scripts if you're giving it to someone else if you're not going to sit down and direct this yourself it's still a blueprint which requires some bridging for interpretation so we had a conversation about a couple of things he was confused about um and I think part of it was that I wrote it so quickly that I didn't take the normal time to flush out, to make it completely clear and unmissable to a reader. And once I verbally explained those things, he's like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. That's hilarious. That's great. Um, if and when we want to show it around, I would love for that stuff to get cleaned up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was that's an option. But then I said, but also, I think you should, there, there's, a, there's an acting coach who he and I both think is a genius. And I said, I think you should, as an actor, sit down with this acting coach and do a couple scenes. You're not auditioning for this film. This is your film. However, what this acting coach, who we both love and respect, will be able to do for you is get every nuance and joke that I intended as the writer, make it perfectly clear and probably better for you as the actor just in case there's anything you don't quite get on the page i know this acting coach will get it because i've worked with him quite a bit he has influenced my sense of comedy quite a bit um and he's a he's a he's a genius and an excellent actor so a lot of what i do comedy wise has been influenced by him so he will 100 percent be able to interpret better than either one of us me or the producer what I intended and be able to perform it for him or help him get there. And then I said, once you do that, you'll have a comprehensive idea of what I was really trying to do with this, this, this script for you as a performer. And then if you want to do dialogue punch-ups, rewrites, you wanna add a scene or two here, then let's do that. But I think that's the first step for him because he's excited about it. But I think once he sees like the brilliance that like experienced comedic acting coach can can like really like pull everything out of it, um, I think it'll be. I think it'll be like let's 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 go. Let's, let's all systems ahead, and then he's gonna raise the money for it. He's 
got some good connections. He's produced things before, so I think he can put the money together and hopefully we can do that this year. Great. And then we'll get it made. He, you know, he's got to find a director and he's, he said he'd obviously would put my name in the hat, my hat, my, my name in the hat, my name in the ring for that. When he goes to sit down with this comedy actor guru, mm-hmm. are you going to be in the room as well? Because oftentimes if you aren't there to represent yourself, there's the further chance of something being misrepresented. I have so much faith and love for both these guys. Yeah. That I don't I don't want to be in the room. Because all all it's been so far now is me and the producer. Mhm. And so he read the script and then we've talked about it a couple times and I'm like, "Oh, these are the things you didn't understand? Okay, great. Let, you know, let me un- let me explain them to you and let me try to sell you on my vision for this, right?" I'm like, this is your Van Wilder. This is your mask, a la Jim Carrey. This is your opportunity to like swing for the fences as a comedic actor. And he, I think he believes in me. He trusts me. Obviously, he, you know, yeah. had me write the script for him. I want to not be the voice in the room for him when he sits down with this. I want them to go off and do their thing. And then if you know, if this this acting guru has honest opinions that. that contradict mine I'm, I'm happy for it you know again i wrote this thing in a month like mm-hmm. sometimes when you're so close to a thing and you don't have the perspective of putting it in a drawer for a couple months or a year and then going back to it being like whoa oh, i thought <laughs> i was doing x but i definitely did seven you know yeah um i'm i'm happy to hear it so i don't want to be in the room i want him to go do whatever he's going to do with it but i i but i and i trust this guy enough to f- bring everything to life mm-hmm. um that I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Okay. That brings us to our third little micro discussion. Um, what do you say we finish off as best as we can our top five favorite movies? Top five favorite movies? For the rest of your top ten favorite movies. What do you got? I have one that we recently watched together, which is John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. What a crazy movie. It's one of my favorites. It's one of my brother's favorite films, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I remember watching that as a kid, and <laughs> when I rewatched it as an adult recently, I was like, oh yeah, this is why it freaked me out, because as a kid, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, in the best way. Did your brother introduce you to that movie, or did you discover it together? Oh, I don't know. It must have been one of those things where my brother and I went into my dad's office and just pulled a VCR tape off of the shelf or a Betamax tape and popped it in and watched it. Betamax. Wow. You maybe just dated yourself a little bit. Yeah. That's okay. All right. Try to top that one, Murphy. The Thing. (laughs) Also John Carpenter. John Carpenter's The Thing. And man, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see this until I was well into my adult. I was in my thirties at some point and it, it blew my mind at how it holds up. It's still incredible it's incredible and then the remake that they did i'm sure the people involved with that were lovely talented people but for whatever reason Mm -hmm. did not hold up his version Mm -hmm. was a critical and box office disaster at the time but it is a masterpiece and i will fight anybody who wants to say otherwise and his is a remake from robert weiss's the thing i believe from like the 40s or something something like that yeah all right great um, what else you got on your list? All right, I have Philadelphia Story. Ooh, Philadelphia Story starring? Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And? 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. No, I knew that. I just, just and scared to say. Cary Grant. And Cary Grant. Wow, what, what heavy hitters. Yeah. Okay. Your turn. My turn. Um, Rachel getting married. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, written by Jenny Lamette. Directed by Jonathan Demi. So Silence of the Lambs and Rachel getting married. <laughs> like, what a spectrum of genres and tones for one director to have covered in a career. Um, that's great. He is not just a horror thriller guy. Yeah. Because Rachel getting married. And uh, part of the part of the way I choose my favorites is if I catch them on TV or if I see them on a streaming service, will I stop everything that I'm doing, mm-hmm. often to my detriment, and mm-hmm. watch them? And Rachel getting married, I discovered like that one day. I was like, oh, what's this? And it just sucked me in. And I watch it. And every time it's on or every time I, I find it, I will I will watch it without fail. I did not know this about you. This yeah. is nice. Okay, what, what's your next one? Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh. What? William Goldman. Yeah. It's just... It's just good. Yeah. It's just good. Now, I have very specific opinions about biopics. Okay. This is not technically a biopic. No. Though it is semi-biographical because these people existed and they did do some of the things. They were documented to have done some of the things that actually take place in the movie. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have, uh, uh, also, have you read Adventures in Screen Screen Trade? Screencraft? Adventures? William Goldman's book? I haven't in... I I haven't and I really really want to. Yeah, you should read that. He's a, he's just a tremendous writer. Yeah. And he's like some would consider him a writer's writer. Mm. Yeah. Are you not one of them? Well, I was trying to different like really quick before the words left my mouth. I was thinking, would I consider him a writer's writer or am I just saying this to sound I don't know, pedantic like, or like, something? Like all the other writers who've said it? Yeah. He's just a good writer. Let's just yeah, put it that right, way. Right. He's just a good writer. Okay, your turn. Casino Royale. Hey, that's really good. Yeah, you think? Yeah. It's like, it's a long movie, but mm. it's so full of tension that it's all good. I grew up with a father who watched all the James Bond films. Mm-hmm. So James Bond was part of, you know, the, the movies I would, the series that I would see as a child. Pierce Brosnan was great. Everything was good. And then Casino Royale was different. One, it was Daniel Craig's first go around Mm -hmm. as Bond. But also Bond falls in love in that movie. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, all these many, many 16, 17 years later, then that's on you. But he falls in love. Yeah. And it's such a bamboozle that, I mean, it broke me up inside. Which, you know, goes to what we're talking about compelling, right? Yeah. It's an it's a recognizable character. Yeah. Cold hearted spy who just loves him and leaves him, falls in love. Yeah. How is that not compelling? And it's the crux of all of the rest of the movies for him. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's not just this moment, this blip in something. It defines his character until the very last film. It does. Yeah. And I wanna just give a quick shout out to all the writers. Um so it was Ian Fleming, obviously, is the author. Yes. That the, that the movie was based on his book. Um, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. You really, you really did us a solid on that one. I have a good one. What is it? Are you ready? No. Long Shot by Liz Hanna. 
long have, shot. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. I think we just watched that like two weeks ago, we right? Did. Yeah, we did. So we met a friend of Liz's in the neighborhood. Carrie. Carrie. Um, shout out to Carrie and Millie. And then her new pup. I don't know what her new pup's name is. Anyway, shout out to Carrie. She said, oh, Lisanna's is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, I've heard the name. I haven't seen Longshot, though, but I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. What did you like about Longshot? You know, I watched it by myself in the movies. And I was like, this is so good. I need to share it. You know, one of those movies. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so then I took my mom to go see it at the theater. And then she goes, this is really good. So I took my sister to go see it. And she's like, this is really good. So then I shared it with you. It's my share movie. I find it's my share movie. That's a good litmus test for how yeah. much a movie means to you. Yeah. Okay, your turn. I try to share Rachel getting married with people, but it just doesn't seem people, I don't know, they never get back to me. Oh, so you've lost friends. I've lost friends, yeah, yeah. based on that, which is uh, uh, which is not true at all, so I'm just going to not even go down that <laughs> <laughs> pathway. Okay, so I just thought of one more, and that'll put me at nine, and I don't think I have any more after that. Warrior. With Tom Hardy. I was in that movie. You were in that movie? Who were you? Were you the brother? <laughs> yes. The alcoholic father. Yes, no, that was Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. No, tell me, well, first tell me what you like about the movie. So I watched the movie, and I'm not going to give anything away, but mm-hmm. the last scene starts, and I burst into tears. Yeah. Like, bur- like, like uncontrollably, like, I'm <sighs> usually, like, buttoned down, no, no tears are getting out. It was an unexpected, uncontrollable explosion of tears from my face in the theater or at home um i think i caught it at home i don't uh i think i caught it not at the theater crying in your bedroom crying into my ice cream so i reach out to a really good friend of mine molly um Mm -hmm. who has very similar um tastes to me film wise cinema wise Mm -hmm. and i said i texted her i said oh my god i just watched warrior burst into tears at the, and she's like oh is that the wrestling the, you know the fighting one blah 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 yeah whatever she kind of was like dismissive in the text and then I hear from her like a week later she goes just finished warrior burst into tears at the end <laughs> it was like it wrecked me it was so good I was like yeah see that's great I mean Nick Nolte Tom Hardy um, Joel Edgerton they're all just they're so good and I, I will find the writer for that while we, you while you think yeah of we one. filmed it I mean they filmed it in Pittsburgh Back in, gosh, what year was that? I don't even remember. And I was an extra on set. I was originally hired as the set masseuse. 2011. 2011, yeah. So I was originally hired as the set masseuse. And JJ, the stunt coordinator, goes, oh, man, we already we hired a different set masseuse. Because they didn't think I could handle massaging all those beefy guys. What? <laughs> The number of careers you have had. <laughs> you're a COVID officer, you're writer, yeah, you're director, set yeah. masseuse, extra background, yeah. like stand in. So they asked, uh, and then I got to know the producer and the producer's like, well, we already hired someone, but do you want to do extra work? And I wasn't doing anything. And so I said, yeah, which is funny because that's what led me to being, um, to training film stunts in Virginia because I met the one of the other film stunt guys on set and he invited everybody down. Anyway. Good movie. Great movie. Uh, director was Gavin O'Connor. Writers are Gavin O'Connor. Anthony yep. Tembakis, for lack of a better pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Forgive me, Anthony, if I messed that up. And Cliff Dorfman. And just a little uh, bit of trivia for the jujitsu listeners out there. Tom Hardy plays an MMA fighter in this movie, and he is currently, I believe, a purple belt in jujitsu. Quite competitive, from what I oh, understand. Wow. Mario Lopez is also a purple belt. Oh, wow. They were rumored uh, to have... 
had maybe like a celebrity jujitsu match scheduled between them, but I don't know if that's come to fruition. Anyway. That's funny. So that was a really good episode. Thank you for your chat about Shudder. Well, hang on. Oh, we got more. I have one more movie. You said pick five. Oh, yes. You I, had four. I assumed you failed like I did. No, you, you get an F, I get a F plus. I can't, I, I, I have nine. That's an F? 90% of the assignment <laughs> is an F? Wow. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. An A then. You just bumped yourself Thank up. Thank you. Okay, from an F to an A. So my 10th favorite movie is Take This Waltz by Sarah Pauly. Ooh, Take who, This Waltz, okay. Who just did Women Talking, which is also a very good movie. Okay. And it has Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, love her. She's great in Drive. Yes, she is. And has Luke Kirby, who is great um, in... Marvelous... Marvelous Mrs. Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Yeah, As Lenny show. Bruce. And it has Seth Rogen. From and, Longshot. From Longshot, in a very surprising role for him for Take This Waltz. Mm, yeah. I haven't seen it, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, so those are my top five. Great. Okay, so that concludes this episode of Pitch, where we covered, God, we covered a lot. We covered Leah's we entire sitter to Spoonful of Sugar scripting to getting that into the hands of Katrina and Mercedes, who I think we're going to interview very soon, right? We are going to interview, and then we talked about your script. Yeah, my assignment. Your assignment. I need to get the update on that. I need to. We would love to know about the update. I need to exercise my writer power and be like, let's get this into production. Let's get these funds <laughs> raised and do it, you know, because. We have all the power. We have all the power. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for the chat, Lee. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Angel. Join us for the next episode where we're going to have three more great scripts and three more great pitches. Yeah. We've got a excellent crew of actors. I believe it's the same as that have been in the first couple episodes. And then we get a new fresh crew of actors in. Yeah. And then also for our main podcast episodes, we've got a couple cool interviews coming up. I believe we've got John Zalzerny. John Zalzerny. We and have Ramphus. We have Ramphus Murphy. Yeah, yeah, great. And then Dustin Morrow. Dustin Morrow. We've yeah. got some cool interviews for you coming up. So thanks again. I am Angel. I am Leah. And cheers from Hollywood. Cheers from Hollywood. If you haven't listened to the premium portion of the podcast yet, we have Victoria Rose Sampson pitching A Miracle in Christmas Town, Tom Leif Anderson with his script, A Caged Monster, and Nicholas Gersich with his story, My Little Crazy. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time. <laughs>